Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Join us as we talk with national experts and advocates about strategies you can use in the pursuit of quality long-term care. For decades, Consumer Voice has designated October as Residents' Rights Month. This month is an opportunity to recognize the value of each resident and the importance of treating every resident with dignity and respect. This year's theme, Amplify Our Voices, highlights residents coming together to make their voices heard. In this episode, join us as we speak with two resident advocates. Floyd Hartley is a former nursing home resident who now lives in the community and works as an advocate for all residents, including those transitioning out of facilities. We also spoke with Cindy Napolitan, a current nursing home resident that has lived in two different nursing homes over six years and has advocated for herself and others at the local, state, and federal level during that time. Floyd and Cindy discuss how they work to improve conditions of nursing home residents. Their constant effort and advocacy illustrate how residents can use their own voices to make systems change for consumers in long-term care facilities. Hi, everyone. Today's podcast is focused on Residents' Rights Month. Residents' Rights Month is an annual event designated by Consumer Voice to honor residents living in all long-term care facilities and those receiving care in their home or community. It's an opportunity to focus on and celebrate the dignity and rights of every individual receiving long-term services and supports. This year, our theme is Amplify Our Voices. This theme, focused on raising resident voices, is empowering and exciting. So much of the work that we do at Consumer Voice focuses on amplifying the voices of long-term care consumers and giving them the tools to advocate on their own behalf. And today's podcast is actually going to focus on two long-term care consumers, a former resident and a current resident, who really exemplify our theme. They both advocate on their own behalfs and on the behalf of others in similar situations. Both guests today, Floyd and Cindy, are members of Consumer Voices Consumer Advisory Council, which is made up of current and former long-term care consumers who advocate in a variety of ways, both working with us at Consumer Voice and working on their own within their communities. Floyd and Cindy are both wonderful advocates, and we're so grateful that they're able to make the time to join us. We're going to start by having a conversation with Floyd, a former resident who now works with other former residents. And again, Floyd, we're so grateful that you were able to join us today. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your relationship with long-term care and the work that you do now? Well, first of all, uh, I was a resident at one time at uh, one of the local nurture homes here in Baltimore, Maryland. So what had happened was that while there, there was a lawyer from, uh, at that time, it was called Maryland Disability Law Center. Right now, it's the uh, Disability Rights Maryland. Uh, she had came in and she had spoke to one of the residents that I was good friends with. And uh, that resident, she happened to uh, ask the lawyer to come speak with me since we were such good friends. And at that time, she asked me that I know about community waiver services and an opportunity to move back in the community. And I told her I had no idea about it and the nurture facility never mentioned it to me. So at that point, there was an opportunity to apply for waiver services and move back into the community. Um, that particular lawyer that worked with Maryland Disability Law Center actually uh, called me one day and said, well, Floyd, you know what? Uh, are you working now? Are you doing anything with yourself? 
And at the time, I told her that I had just started working with someone at the Division of Occupation, Division of Rehabilitation Services to try to find some type of employment. So she said, well, you know what? I think we have something for you to do. We can put you to work. And at that point, I started working with uh, Disability Rights Maryland, uh, advocating. Uh, actually, uh, we, I was trained uh, along with other advocates to go out to nursing facilities and let them know about community waiver services and how to go about applying. So at that point, uh, I started out going to just the local nursing facilities in Baltimore City. And from there, with more training uh, constantly from the law center, which we were meeting uh, like every, every Monday of the month to update the things that we needed to know about uh, long-term care services, things like the difference between Medicare and Medicaid, uh, the difference between a person having guardianship and someone having power of attorney, and just other related things dealing with long-term care that help empower myself uh, and helping residents and nursing facilities and transitioning. Uh, we started helping people with uh, not only moving back into the community, but also with transportation issues. Because once you leave the facility, uh, there were, how would you get around? How would you navigate? Also, we had helped individuals to uh, some of the independent living centers, which help individuals also has something called travel training that would help them navigate themselves in and around the city also. And we help people with voting, you know, because a lot of people that are in nursing facilities, they uh, sometimes are told that they can still vote. Right. So there were several things that we were helping people with uh, while they were in the nursing facilities and even telling them about some of the things that I had to do when I transitioned out, one was, you know, getting in touch with uh, the Digital uh, Rehabilitation Services, where they could possibly uh, find some type of employment in the community, too. So even with that, uh, the state actually implemented what we were doing uh, as far as helping people transition into the community. And we also had an opportunity to work with the state and doing the same work, but uh, it wasn't as extensive as to what we were doing. So I decided not to work with the state, stay with what I was doing, a group called the Sunshine Folk, uh, because we believed that the sunshine brighter at home. So our thing was that we did not only let them know about community services. We stay with them from the time that we helped them apply all the way to the time that they moved back into the community. And even then, we assisted individuals 
with opportunities. We would actually have cookouts for them at the at the, at the law center to make them, you know, feel you know comfortable in the community uh, and being about. We would actually take people out to lunch to let them get a little feel as to what goes on in the community and uh, and how to uh, get about in the community. I think one of the most important things about this whole thing as far as uh, the waiver program is getting people adjusted to the community because a lot of people have the thought, well, I'm going to move back in the community. My family's going to be with me. I'm going to have friends along with me. But that doesn't happen. So what happens right. a lot of times, that leaves people all alone and lonely and vulnerable. And, you know, we as the Sunshine Folk, we try to not make that happen, whereas we would stay in constant contact with individuals to make sure that they're getting the services that, that they need. So along with the work as far as trying to help people transition back in the community, I also work with the Abudgement, which mm -hmm. is a, a statewide agency that intervenes for individuals and nursing facilities to assure that they're getting the services that they need. So I would usually meet with the ombudsman at least once a month. Uh, what I would do is give presentations to the new employees that, are, that were becoming uh, ombudsman and let them know some of the things that they had to look for once they went into the nursing facilities, things like making sure that there's water on uh, the individual's uh, nightstand, because uh, a lot of individuals in nursing facilities become dehydrated, mm -hmm. make sure that their call bells are uh, buttoned on, on their beds, uh, so that if something happened, they could at least, you know, make, at least push the button to, you know, have a nurse come in. Um, even when they, the abutment would go into a facility, just be aware of things like the smell. I mean, sometimes you walk right. down the hallways and if something doesn't smell right, I mean, it could be people just sitting there, uh, laying in their feces and that shouldn't be. They should at least well go to the nursing station and say, well, I think, you know, this person may have had an accident on themselves. At least can you check them out? And a lot of times uh, older folks or any folks that may have behavioral problems or they may not are sitting in the hall and they're, they're, they're drugged up. They may be asleep. So, mm -hmm. you know, just be aware of, you know, people's, uh, their posture, their attitude, and things that are going on. So uh, I've just been advocating uh, as much as I can in all aspects of the community, helping people with transportation, helping them with voting, helping them direct themselves as to where they can get the best, best help in the community, trying to maybe connect them with family and friends, and organizations that they can be a part of, uh, which would help their mental state of being just to uh, 
to be a part of and, 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 and be in the community and doing things, not just sitting at home by themselves. There are some folks who are fine with sitting at home by themselves or not so much by themselves. They don't mind not participating in any type of work or anything of that nature. A lot of individuals are just happy to be in the community. And, you know, that that's enough with me. It is enough for them just to be in the community, uh, being happy, enjoying themselves. I I feel like, you know, just listening to you talk, you're advocating as you're speaking, just giving some of those tips. And I think that it resonates more because you lived that experience. You were in a facility, you know, so when when we talk about it or when ombudsmen are looking for things, it 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 almost sounds a little bit different. But when you actually speak to those things, I think people recognize it at a different level. Um, and I also, I remember in the past, actually us having a conversation, I think we were talking about social isolation in nursing homes. And you brought up that same point that a lot of people, when they leave nursing homes, face a level of isolation that they hadn't expected. So I don't want to sound trite in saying it sounds like everything you're doing is really inspiring. I mean, because it, sounds like you're really working on multiple levels to make sure people in multiple different stages of long-term care, both people still in facilities and people who have transitioned out, get get the services that they, they really need. Um, just out of curiosity, because you were on our Consumer Advisory Council even before I started at Consumer Voice, how did you end up getting connected with Consumer Voice? Yes, I do. I've, I've been uh, connected with for quite some time. Uh, listen to a lot of the dialogue that basically because I'm in the community and not basically in the nursing homes, I kind of sit back and listen to some of the stories that uh, a lot of residents have to uh, give and um, exactly all the things that they're saying as far as nursing homes, short staffing, uh, people not answering call bells, just several things that go on, the food being cold. Uh, it's, it's just a numerous thing, not, not getting a bath when you should get a bath, uh, not really being taken care of. And, and I think what happens is, uh, for instance, when I was in the nursing facility, I had to advocate for myself because I wasn't, I was used to living a certain way and I wanted that respect that I should have got, should get. And I had to fight for that. Uh, I had to, sometimes I needed to go to the bathroom. I wasn't able to go on my own. I needed some help and I couldn't get that help at one point. So I, I ended up calling the police. And after that did that, they were like, well, why did you do that? I said, because I needed help and you would not help me. Even the nurses, I could be in the bathroom, need some assistance. And they would come and say, well, Mr. Hartley, what is it that you need? I said, I need some assistance. And they would say, well, hold on. I'm going to go get one of these. I said, no, you can help me right now. Why should you have to go get an A when you have the ability to help me? So it's those type things. And even one day I was sitting in the hallway, we had a uh, a meeting uh, 
with all the residents and the administrators specifically said, well, if you, if you see a call light on, uh, every, each and every person that sees that is supposed to answer that light. So I just had to be sitting in the hallway one day and the administrator and some of her uh, higher staff, I guess it was the ownership of the facility, had walked by. So I said, excuse me, I said, there's a light on. I mean, you're the administrator, these are the things that you said. Okay, answer the light, please. You know, you specifically said that yourself. So those type things uh, happened. Uh, I think one of the best things I did, uh, I became you know pretty good friends with the administrator because of some of the advocacy things I did was because when I first came there, actually, uh, and the first time I got a chance to take a shower, I went to the shower room and there was feces all over the floor. And I went to another shower, there was dirty linen. And I went to the administrator and I said, well, why is this happening? Why are people taking it to places where uh, it's dirty, it's unclean, it's unsanitary? So what happened after that was that maybe a week or two later, he made sure that all the bathrooms were power washed. Wow. Every week, made sure that they were clean, they were washed down, they were sanitized. Every week, this was done. So that was something that you no, know, I helped and other residents helped get done. But I think one of the best things that I did with the administrator after we became pretty uh, not so much tight, but we. we he, we respected each other and he respected me was to, yes, it was the Harvey. I would like to, if you don't mind, we're hiring new uh, aides. Would you come in and speak with them as far as what they will be, what they will be doing and how they should be doing it. That's awesome. Uh, I think one of the things that I told them was, if you're here for a dollar, you're in the wrong place. But if you're here to genuinely care about the residents, then you're welcome. Not too many of them stayed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but that's what it's about. It's giving care and time right. to the residents. But when you don't have enough staff, uh, that's where the downfall is, uh, especially on the weekends. And until the laws are changed, until they are changed, and the consumer voices uh, have a lot to do with making that change, making sure that it's done through advocacy, uh, through state government, and higher up to make sure these things are done. It, it takes time. It's going to take time. But I think the consumer voices will be uh, a very instrumental part in making that change. 
What what advice do you have for people who might be listening right now who are residents or long-term care consumers um, to get started in advocating at any level? I mean, because I think, you know, a lot of what you do now is really advocating at a high level, but you've also talked a lot about just having, I, I mean, it's almost the courage to speak up while in your facility and saying, like, this is not right. We deserve respect. So what what advice do you have for someone who's listening and sort of wants to start advocating? Well, I, I would say to what you start advocating, don't stop at one particular level. Uh, go from one to the next to the next. Go as far as you can, as far as making your voice heard. Uh, I used to uh, give a lot of residents the advice of, well, I went to uh, the the administrator and they said blah 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 but if they're not listening who is above the administrator you go to the establishment the owner of these facilities you make your voice heard and you reach out to your local state government start there uh, consistently do that until they understand the severity of what's going on and you, you go from there and your senators uh, are very powerful people. They can get things done, but it has to keep going to the legislature, making sure that it's on the docket that these things have to be done. You go to the Center for Medicaid Services, who have a lot of uh, influence on uh, how things are done. Uh, and make sure that it, that it, it's being heard. It has to be done not just one time, not just next week. Right. It has to be done consistently. I always say, as they say, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's what you have to be. You have to worry someone to make sure that you know your voice is being heard. I think that's the best advice. I mean, I know I talk to a lot of people who are either family members or residents who say, well, I did this and nothing happened, or I called my state legislator and nothing happened. And and I know it's incredibly frustrating for people a lot of the time to feel like you're taking this big step and you're doing something and no one's listening. But I think you're right. You have to just keep doing it. You know, if you make one phone call and nobody responds, you make that second phone call and that third phone call and that fourth phone call and you send an email. Um, but I think that's that is great advice. Um, my last question for you is, you know, listening to everything that you do, what, what is the most rewarding part for you? Wow. <laughs> I think the most rewarding part is just to see the smile on people's faces once they have transitioned back in the community. It, uh, it just... Gives, gives me a lot of delight. I mean, uh, because I, I know how it was when I was in the community and moving back in. But my thought has always been uh, when your hand is closed, nothing can come in. But when it's open, you can receive. And I just, uh, I just enjoy, enjoy doing this. I mean, I've been doing it for since 2005 and uh, 
it's nothing more rewarding than to see somebody transition back in the community and for them to say thank you, Mr. Hart. Thank you for letting me know about this program. Thank you for helping me along the way. And that, to me, just a thank you is, is really rewarding. Well, we want to give you a huge thank you, both for the work that you're doing and for joining us today, because I think a lot of people who listen are going to be really inspired what you're doing. So thank you again for coming and joining us today. Thank you. Well, Floyd is an advocate who used to live in a nursing home and is currently outside of nursing homes working with residents who are still living inside and residents who have moved out. Next, we're going to talk to Cindy. Cindy lives currently in a skilled nursing facility and does similar work um, from her nursing home. So, Cindy, you're living in a nursing home, and I think by self-definition, you're an advocate. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, how long you've been living in a skilled nursing facility, and how you got started doing some of the advocacy that you do? Uh, yes, thanks, uh, Jocelyn. Um, some of my background, um, I am a fixer. I have always had jobs in the past where I would go in and try to make the job better, the position better, fix any issues that were happening in any particular job. I call myself a jack of all trades. I've done brokerage work. I've been a pharmacy technician, tax preparer, you name it, I've probably done it. Um, my daughter and I were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Uh, I was diagnosed in 89, my daughter 10 years later. Uh, my husband passed away. Uh, it's going to be six years and we tried to stay at home and have people come and take care of us. Um, because our home wasn't accessible, uh, that was difficult. So we went into long-term care. Uh, we went to one facility for two and a half years where I was the president of resident council. And this home was not wheelchair accessible. We could not get into our bathrooms. It also had a community shower. Um, after the pandemic started, they turned that facility into the COVID unit and brought people from across the state to that facility. So we decided that would not be an option for us. So we moved to another nursing home that was owned by the same corporation. We have been at this nursing home for almost three and a half years. Um, this nursing home is uh, wheelchair friendly. We have our private bathroom and I thought this would be a great place to live. Um, during the, the, since the time that we've lived here, I have advocated for improvements in all area, areas of the facility. Um, certainly there's been a staffing issue um, and it's not just because of pandemic, it was also a problem prior to, but it was really, um, something that we noticed a lot more after the pandemic. We were losing people left and right. Um, so advocating for myself and my daughter is something that I do mostly on a, a daily basis. Um, we experience staff shortages. Uh, we wake up in the morning. We don't know if everybody's going to show up for work. There are days 
when we wonder, are we going to be able to get out of bed today? Uh, we both need full care. Um, are we going to get a shower? Are we going to get our food on time? Is it going to come hot? Um, because there may be a staff shortage in our dining room and kitchen also. Are we going to get clean linen? So these are daily worries for yeah. each of us and for other advocates. Uh, and our residents deserve to have their needs um, handled on a daily basis. They need their showers, right? They need to be um, fed. Um, if we're short in the dining room, I see people sitting there with a plate in front of them, unable to feed themselves, and no one is available to come and feed them. Um, they sit there for quite a while. Um, there is um, just a, a feeling that we have no control. And right. that is a, a terrible feeling to have. So, so, I mean, that's, that's actually a really, I mean, that is a terrible feeling to have. And I think that's a feeling and emotion expressed by a lot of residents that we talk to, um, that you don't have control over your own day or over your own life. And so I guess my next question, you've, you've talked about a lot of things that, again, I think a lot of people come to us with, whether it's family members or residents, talking about the fact that there isn't enough staffing, talking about the fact that, you know, sometimes meals aren't delivered. Um, sometimes they aren't mm -hmm. delivered at all. All of these things. Um, and a lot of times, I, you know, we'll tell people, okay, well, these are some things, you know, reach out to your ombudsman, you can do this, you can do that. Um, and it is hard. I mean, it's, I think it's really hard for people, particularly for residents, as they try to actually take that step to advocate. Um, but I know you have advocated successfully um, in a bunch of different areas. And so, can we just talk a little bit about some of what, you know, how you do push back in situations like that when there isn't enough staff in your facility? Who do you go to? Who do you talk to? Um, and when other things go wrong, what steps do you take? Well, my first step is to always uh, go to my nurse and explain the situation and what my needs are. And um, if she or he, um, they're not able to help, then we have a grievance um, system where we go to our social worker and actually put it in writing that there's a particular grievance, no matter what it is. It could be as little as missing uh, laundry um, to abuse and neglect. Um, so that is our next step. Um, if I still don't get any satisfaction from that, a lot of times my grievance forms are not answered by our nursing management. Um, so then I have to take that a step further. I have to go to our administrator and meet with that person and explain what happened. I've also kept journals, um, journaling when I've been given my medication, um, when they've ran out of my medication, what they've told me, uh, uh, recently, I had the experience of having an abscess um, and needing uh, to go to the dentist. The dentist gave me a prescription for 
800 milligrams of ibuprofen. Um, they did not fill the prescription, nor did they have any in the building. They checked all of the med cards, all of the nursing cards, no medication available, which is totally unreal to me. Why wouldn't a skilled nursing facility have the supplies that are needed for all of the residents? So they finally filled the prescription within a week and I did have to go to different people. Um, I had to talk to my ombudsman uh, and it was finally taken care of. Um, it was a week before I got the prescription filled. Um, wow. So you just have to take the different steps. Um, sometimes I have to go all the way to the corporate level and talk to the corporate compliance officer, especially if it's a severe violation or neglect. Um, I've done that step before as well. So how do you do that? Just for another resident or a family member listening, do you just call the corporate office or how do you get in touch with somebody and make them listen to you? Um, yes, I called the corporate office. I got email uh, addresses. I did a letter um, to our corporate compliance officer. I sent him a copy of my journal. Um, I sent him previous letters that I had sent to the corporation um, asking for help on um, making things better for the residents here. And I finally got his attention and he made an appointment to come and see me and we discussed a lot of the issues that are happening. Mm -hmm. And after that, some things improved. But, you know, a month later, we're back to the same right. uh, problems. I think, you know, a lot of times when, when we at Consumer Voice talk to family members and residents, we tell them to do exactly what you're doing, but it can be really hard. I mean, it can be really hard when you send an email and no one answers it or when you call someone and they don't call you back. Um, so, right. I mean, I think a lot of what I'm hearing is, you know, what we say to people, but it can sometimes feel hollow when we're saying it to people, you have to be so persistent. I mean, you just have to, you have to keep yeah. going. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the other things that you've done, some other ways you've sort of worked to make change at your facility? Um, well, uh, resident council mm -hmm. uh, meetings are something that we do on a monthly basis. We do have issues with how they're run. Um, we have um, a, a director who is not knowledgeable about how to run a meeting and what the different regulations are. Our last meeting, she invited our DON to come to our meeting. And of course, when the DON came in uninvited by residents, nobody spoke up and talked about anything. Wow. So I was able to get a copy of the regulation uh, from somebody at uh, Consumer Voice so that I can print that off and present that to our director of activities during our meeting this week to get um, you know them to follow the rules and the regulations to protect um, our residents. Um, this is resident um, rights month and they constantly need to be reminded that we do have rights. 
and that is one of our rights to um, make our own decisions during a meeting. Right. And some of the other things that I've been able to do is uh, we have a new ombudsman who has not been certified yet. She's gone through the process um, and she's been unable to come into our building and handle any of our issues. So I'm advocating for her um, to get her certification. And I contacted our state ombudsman to ask for her help and her support to get that done because there, we've had the surveyors in the building this week on issues that she may have been able to handle. Um, so I recently had a meeting with the state surveyor I'm sorry, the state ombudsman, and we're going to develop a really good relationship. And um, she may be coming to visit our facility later this year. And um, I I really appreciated everything that she had to say. And um, it's just another way you have to reach as many people as you can. Um, I think you have to have a lot of diplomacy. You can't just scream and yell. You have to find a way to help them help you. Right. Right? Well, my next question was going to be, what advice do you have for other people in your situation who want to do this type of advocacy? And I think that is probably the best advice you could give someone, right? That you kind of have to yeah. behave diplomatically, particularly as you move up the chain and talk to people because- right. It's going to be harder Absolutely. to listen to people who are screaming and shouting, um, even though you have every right to be screaming and shouting right. over some of this. But I found that that doesn't get the job done. Right. You have to have um, a certain way of, of asking um, and try to let them know what if your mother was going through this? What if your child right. was going through this? What would you do? And if you if you see what's going on in this nursing home, would you send your mother here? Right. Or your child. Um, so you have to really make them walk in your shoes. Or roll around in a wheelchair like I do. <laughs> um, so let's take a minute and talk because you do this advocacy. Um, and I think that's probably how you got started with other things that you do, but, you know, you do a lot at, you know, we say local level, but we're talking about like at the very individual level. Um, but you also now do advocacy at a higher level. Um, and yeah. I mean, I think of everything from being part of Consumer Voices Consumer Advisory Council to the fact that on your own, you write letters and send them and get responses and things like that from, from a much higher level than just the administrator in your nursing home. So can you talk a little bit sort of about that and how you took that step and some of the work you do, um, you know, at a more um, systemic level? I think my initial... Um the initial opportunity to get involved was with National Consumer Voice. And then I started getting phone calls from news organizations, AARP, USA Today, to um, uh, contribute my thoughts on that. Um, and then I got involved with several other groups 
Um, there's a group called Live Oak Project um, that is working on advocate, advocating for residents. Um, one of our, or one of the things that I'm going to bring up this week during our meeting is uh, Texas recently up their personal needs allowance for uh, people living in a nursing home on Medicaid. Um, a lot of our states get as little as maybe $40 uh, a month. Right. Um, that means that for the entire month, they only have $40 to be able to maybe get their hair done, buy um, over-the-counter things like um, their kind of shampoo that they like. Right. They have to use their own money to do that. Um, some of the largest state uh, PN, uh, PNA is Colorado. They almost get $100 a month. So Texas recently upped theirs from $60 to $75. There was another group here that advocated for that, um, Texas caregivers. So my goal is to find out how they did that, what the steps are, and to make sure that each state knows how to accomplish that because that is not enough money for no. someone living in a nursing home. Uh, that you have to buy your own clothing. Uh, you have to buy, you know, everything they don't provide. A nursing home is not going to provide you with everything that you need. So that is something that I'm advocating for is making sure that all states know how to do that. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because, you know, a lot of what we do at Consumer Voice is, you know, advocating on behalf of residents, but also trying to get and um, give residents the tools to advocate on behalf of themselves. And I feel like you yeah. are sort of the picture perfect image of how, how that can work at times, um, because I know that when we have events or when we are talking to CMS or when we are talking to legislators, you know, a lot of times we can come to them with data and numbers and information, but you can come to them with your personal story, you know, with, with the actual lived experience of what you're living with. And that, that takes it to a different level. And like you said, I think, you know, you know, advocates, ombudsmen, people can go and say, you know, that this is, this isn't, you know, a sustainable situation, that there isn't enough staff in this facility, that this isn't happening right. But the way you described it, you know, being able to have someone walk in your shoes or roll in your wheelchair, um, I think kind of hits them at a different level. Um, so I think the advocacy you're doing is incredible and inspiring. And we really appreciate you being here today. Well, you know, there must be a reason why I'm here. And I really believe that um, I'm here for a reason and to advocate for others, especially our residents that can't advocate for right. themselves. Um, they need, a lot of them don't even have families that can help right. them. So those are the people that um, I think about and I hope that other residents will get involved. Um, if you see something, you say something. If you hear something, you say something to administrator or to your state surveyors. I recently found out that I can file a complaint 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I was encouraged if something comes up, you call immediately. 
and file your complaint. Um, so especially if it's a, uh, a situation where somebody could get hurt, right. um, you, you want to uh, get someone to handle that immediately. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Cindy. We really appreciate You're welcome. it. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us on Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. This podcast is a program of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and find more information and resources. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you.